welcome to our first ever episode of the Powered by People podcast. Um, today we are lucky enough and honoured to be joined by the one and only Lewis Milford. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll let Lewis, before I mess up the introduction, I'll let Lewis introduce himself. Okay, so hi, nice to meet you both. So I'm Lewis Milford. I'm uh, the International Corporate Functions Talent Acquisition Director at Microsoft. Be glad to be here. Has also worked at Heartech, yeah. Nokia. I started it in well. I started my career in as as many of us have in agency world. Um, joined Dark side, Dark side. Yeah. <laughs> um, joined Nokia in end of two thousand and nine, and then um, through Nokia's kind of transformation, moved to one of its sister companies, which is a company called Here Technologies. And then from there into Microsoft. And I've been with Microsoft about six years now. Amazing. So a lot of insight from Lewis. Um, and we're going to be covering a couple of really interesting topics um, that are incredibly relevant for today. Um, and that's looking at internal mobility and workforce planning. Essentially, how do we how do we look busier when we're not busy? <laughs> um Producer Rosie's number one tactic is walk faster for anyone in office. Um, but uh, Lewis, tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are on how recruiters and talent partners can make themselves more valuable and more useful to other departments uh, yeah. when, you know, like like in moments right now, not all companies are, uh, are actively hiring. Yes. Okay. Yeah, happy to. Um, so firstly, just, I guess, kind of acknowledging the last year has been an incredibly challenging time across particularly technology sectors, but many industries are struggling. So I think the first thing before we go into talking about the impact that many recruiters can have, it's just important to take a note to acknowledge the redundancies and legacy yeah, for sure. technology at the moment. So, um, you know, many companies in technology have had to reduce their workforce and talent acquisition has been heavily impacted by that. So. I think that's just the first kind of step. Now, that's certainly left behind a number of talent acquisition organizations which are smaller, but yet are still probably a little oversized for the volume of recruiting that needs yeah. to be done. So I think many businesses now, particularly in the technology sector, are starting to think around, um, you use the term kind of keeping busy, but impact. So we would we would talk about impact. How can I, as a manager or an individual contributor in an organization, continue to have impact in a time when a company isn't hiring? Um, and like, it's a tough one, honestly. Um, the, the way that I've talked with, with my teams and other managers I work with is kind of thinking around like, there are sort of, in my view, four levels to this. There is, we are still recruiting. So yep. first and foremost, even companies which are slowing down, there are open requisitions. There is still an opportunity to bring in external talent into the organization. So we still have to deliver to our typical exceptionally high standards that recruiting service. So that's kind of number one. Coming down number two is um, where can we stretch in to support other parts of the organization? So that might be stretching in to recruit in areas that you haven't historically recruited in. So if you're an executive recruiter, stretching in to do some scale recruiting. If you're a university recruiter, 
you know, stretching in to do executive. Wherever the business needs you, that's your opportunity to continue to have impact. And then also kind of going beyond there, thinking about um, other parts of HR, um, roles, business management, program management, even kind of stretching into sales positions as well. And then the third piece down, which I'll talk in more detail a little bit later, is projects. Yep. You know, so where can we find the work that we need to do? All of those things which we haven't had time to do because we've been so busy, whether that's talent pooling, whether it's looking at your technology platform, whether it's employer brand, working on those projects. And then the final piece and, you know, the thing not to forget is your professional development. Yeah. So it's what are we going to learn in this period and be intentional about this is the learning path that I'm going to take and this aligns with my career development plans and continues to move me forward in this. So there's, there's yeah. a lot in there. Um, Listen, on the blog, that wonderful things about um, talent professionals, right, is that the the level of transferable skills within those people, you, you mentioned a few of those different departments that you could be involved in, the, the sales mentality of, of a recruiter, the entrepreneurial focus, the empathy, ultimately the customer service or candidate experience. So all those skills can lend themselves to different parts of the business, right? So yeah. at risk of kind of, don't want to be completely redeployed into a sales function, but actually that consultative approach from mm-hmm. a recruiter or from a talent professional, it's actually really, it's amazing. If you're someone that's fortunate enough to still be in a, a big business, you've yeah. got so much value right, as a, as a recruiter. I think like for me, a big piece of it is, is, is your talent acquisition function fully embedded in the HR organization? And if so, it's very easy for you as a talent acquisition professional to stretch into HR consultancy or, you know, HR services or business partnering or something like this, because, or or even like talent development or talent management, you know, because you're, you're part of the HR organization and you're kind of, you're living and breathing the, the, the people agenda, the cultural aspirations from day one. I think if you're in a talent acquisition function, which lives somewhere separate to HR, it's a little bit harder for the organization to bring those skills in. Yeah. But I mean, certainly, you know, uh, at Microsoft, our talent acquisition function is fully part of our HR organization. Um, so for us, that's been a great opportunity to leverage the fantastic talent that we've got, but also to provide some new career paths and development opportunities for people within talent acquisition. I think also it's worth acknowledging that like this, the, 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 that the opportunities for um, making or creating impact are going to differ from company to company as well, aren't they? A startup like Microsoft um, might might have different opportunities um, where you can get involved in more HR topics, candidate onboarding processes and yeah. employee engagement. There's a lot more and, to do. Whereas in a smaller business, in a smaller, you know, startup um, that you've got, we 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 got a lot of our guys when they're not busy at the rec hub that are investing a lot of time and energy into into brand, their own personal brand because them extending their brand is is extending our brand also and ultimately that's going to leverage going to enable us to leverage sales and, and and increase revenue which enables to continued growth um and and the same goes for lots of other potentially smaller businesses what what do you think in a in an organisation, let's say uh, you know a tech startup, um, two hundred three hundred people, where the TA functions maybe a little bit more segregated from the rest of that HR function? 
what what can what can people out there be doing to sort of add more impact or create more impact within an organization yeah it's a great question i mean i always come back to what are the things that you want to do when you're too busy to do them you know and all of when you've got like 50 open requisitions and you're working however however many hours in a day you can. just to get through applications yeah yeah then like what are the things that you go god i wish we had some time if we had some time we do this stuff mm. and typically that's like looking at process optimization it's looking at um your your technology platform um it's looking at topics like employer branding yeah um your your um the other one which jumps out is is like building talent pools yeah it's the obvious one isn't it yeah it really is but the the challenge that that i think recruiters often face is that talent acquisition is the most important thing in the world when we're hiring yeah the moment that there's any form of slowdown from a business priority it starts to move down the stack very quickly yeah so then you know, as the recruiter, you you come to the meeting with your your client, your manager, your hiring manager, your stakeholder. You say, "Hey, we've connected with these five amazing people from the industry. They're totally like transformative talents. You know, um, all of these fantastic skills that they could bring a business. Um, have you got time to have an informational conversation with them? And if they're not hiring, probably not. You know, so it's kind of firstly building out those talent pools that will bring transformational talent and also talent which aligns with our aspirations around dni as well yep um but then also building the engagement with the business so that the business understands there is a tremendous benefit to engaging with this talent sooner because at the point at which we will start to rehire that we're starting to grow again you're going to be able to increase the level of talent that you're actually getting and and, you know it's like it's common sense but the hard thing is building the the engagement with the business to make talent acquisition continue to be a priority in that period of time. You know, I think that's where we've seen recently a lot of the businesses are, they're not necessarily holding talent acquisition as important as it, as it potentially is. Um, yeah. Why, why is that? Why is that? Why are we still in that kind of? Because it's easy when, when you're having to reduce revenue, if you're not hiring these, these things that we're talking about at the moment, um, aren't directly impacting the bottom line or the top line. Uh, well, it's a demand-led, it's a demand-led function, isn't it? Yeah. And it's um, you know, for me and many other people in talent acquisition who've been in in growth for so many years, the last year has been this reminder of actually, yeah, if if we're not hiring, we need to think about having impact in very different ways. Um. And yeah, unfortunately, it's that kind of realization around if the demand to hire talent isn't there, you know, we have to think differently about what that talent acquisition function looks like. Is this true? Do you think this is why sort of typically a few years ago that it was all folded into a HR business partner? They they sort of managed talent acquisition along with all the other functions because when you weren't hiring that, you know, that, that person was maybe more of a generalist to be able to add value in other areas. And I think it's, um, I, I, I'll, I'll answer that question by talking briefly about like how we go forward, because Mm. I think that topic of flexibility within talent acquisition is something later in this discussion. Let's focus on that future plan. And I think definitely when you look at hybrid roles, which we have had in the past, there is some flexibility to those hybrid roles yeah. because as you can say you know you you move 
you, you have those people do the work that needs to be done that's a priority. The, the, the issue with that is that, um, that, that you lose that kind of COE expertise. Um, um, and, and that's, I think, where we've seen, and Microsoft is a great example, you know, we, we've built a global talent acquisition function over the last eight years now. And we moved from that model of having recruiters reporting up into the local HR team. Yeah. And we centralized all of that and created this function. And honestly, like the impact has been incredible. Like that was a hundred percent the right thing to do. And we've been able to invest in technology and capability and structure, you know, and we, we've created a consistent world-class talent acquisition function. So I would. I would be really concerned about a move back to those kind of hybrid, hybrid roles. Yeah. But I do think that as we go forward, you know, one of the things that we're going to have to learn from the past year is how do we create more flexibility and how do we create more agility? Maybe that's the better word, um, in more of a hybrid model, because the problem of scaling up and scaling down you know, will we'll still be on the mind of all business leaders in the coming period. My my view on this is, um, and I think it's, HR can, can have a lot of the, you know, the um, legal side of, of, of uh, the skill set, that, that hybrid role. HR business partners cover a lot of the, the sort of uh, the, the legal people side. Um, talent acquisition is, is always looked at as go and find people. But I think talent acquisition has a lot more to do uh, with retention, engagement, onboarding. These are things that, that complement acquisition because if you don't lose people, you don't have to have such an aggressive acquisition strategy. Um, and how do we retain people? We have an amazing onboarding process. We have an amazing employee engagement um, and then also, you know, a hot topic at the moment for, for many people, many companies is employer branding. And um, how, how does, I always, I see employer branding like the marketing to sales, you know, the, the recruiters are your sales people going out and selling your brand to, to you know, invite people to, to join your organization. Employer branding are the marketing team that sit behind them. Um, and in traditional organizations, the sales and marketing team work super closely, whereas we don't see that all of the time in businesses where employer brand are working side by side with the recruiters, where there's that sort of communication feedback or, or loop, um, where the recruiters are explaining what the candidate of, of today wants and, and how we can better, you know, in, improve our, our EVP and how then that is, is branded externally. And I think those are areas that, that I think that hybrid role for me is going to move into is, is talent acquisition having way more input and say around uh, retention strategies, around uh, employee onboarding programs, around uh, employee engagement, EVP, employee value proposition and, and branding. Mm. Um, when I worked at Nokia, they used to talk about the why join, why stay story, which I always I thought was lost eyes. Yeah. And um, I think I, I think about this, the topic of talent being a consistent theme throughout the the life cycle of an employee and mm. you know that that talent journey starts way before someone's even applied for a role you know it starts in those conversations at conferences you know yeah. over linkedin with with colleagues referrals from people and it's a you know it continues through the 
the section that talent acquisition owns. Yep. You know, from that that kind of engagement assessment through to offer. And then another part of your HR organization, it takes up that talent experience through onboarding, mm. you know, through day one, and then through the journey of that individual employee, right up to a point at which they decide to leave that company, even their exit process is part of that whole kind of talent journey. So I think definitely that that needs to be consistent. It also needs to be smart enough that we can learn from it, you know, and like whether that's exit interviews informing um, how we assess for talent, you know, looking at, um, performance and development topics and how that reflects to even topics like source of hire and things like this. We're starting to talk about then like, okay, then what's the platform that underpins all of that? Um, I'm sure there are many, which will give that kind of consistent, um, data to what that experience looks like, but it, it has to be joined up. And that, that sort of that data hopefully would feed into, you know, some of the stuff that we want to talk about around workforce planning and, and having that data can then feed into what are our plans for next year and, and how are we, because some of the challenges that we've had recently with redundancies and, and the market are also due to not just economical, uh, what is it we said, headwinds. Macroeconomic, Macroeconomic headwinds. Yeah, short term. That's the official term of why things have gone wrong. Um but also down to poor planning, right? There's a lot of companies that have, have overshot their growth metrics um, and, uh, you know, having to, to scale back. Um, what, from your perspective, what, what are the like sort of key elements that make a good plan? I think there needs to be a very strong relationship between the finance organizations, between the HR organizations, including talent acquisition, and with the business itself. And, you know, I, in my own experience, um, you know, I've worked in some organizations which have an incredibly um, robust mechanism for bringing all of that data together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is, it, if we look at what's the responsibility of talent acquisition within this, to have clear and informed data around what are we hiring? When do we expect them to start? When does the cost going to hit the business what are the different types of cost and at what point in the future will that be hitting the business so that the business has a totally clear view on financially what is talent acquisition bringing yeah to the organization and when is that going to hit because then they'll model it and you know there are examples where finance might even come to you as a as a recruiter and say hey we need to slow down hiring because you know financially we've modeled this in a different way it's frustrating, but that's fine. You know, yeah. we need to always balance um, the, the, you know, it's like this kind of triangle of like finance, HR, and the business to make sure that everyone has clarity on the planning and what the implications of all of the decisions that we're making. It often, they often can be siloed, can't they? Those, all, those, those sort of uh, functions within the business. Are... Bringing them together. And actually, this is what we in talent acquisition have a responsibility to do. Um, we will, with, with one ear, we'll be hearing from the business, Hey, you know, we want to hire this, we want to hire this. And then in the other ear, we'll be hearing from finance. This is, these are our budgets. And actually we've got a responsibility to bring those organizations together where possible and rationalize, okay, this is what we expect to hire from the business, but this is what we know we're funded to hire. Mm. And then let's build our model around that. Now, that doesn't mean that the business is always wrong. You know, it doesn't mean that finance is always wrong, but it does mean that we have to find something structurally in the middle, 
which we can deliver. Um, anything above and beyond that, you know, we'll focus on future talent pipelines yeah. for, um, for a point at which we are ready to hire it. And I guess that's like, that's kind of relevant to the conversations earlier that I guess in a lot of businesses, the, the talent team are almost, well, they're not almost, they're very subservient to the rest of, of the business, right? They're always a, an output. It's always, okay, yeah, the decision has been made, in, implement that decision, whether that's yeah. freezing hiring or cutting hiring, where go do it. <laughs> Whereas the, the data you were talking about, that, that data is key to be at the table for those decisions, right? In, in terms of businesses looking at the forecasting finance for the next year, 18 months, the way the, the talent in the talent team are going to operate and that kind of by way that we was talking about and impacted costs in the next six, eight, nine months and yeah. what the talent pipeline looks like, what the attrition rate is. So then, you know, how much we're going to backfill all those, all those decisions and all those factors surely heavily impact the financial stability of the business or the financial planning, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like talent acquisition has a responsibility to support finance, to be able to do more accurate planning. And you made a great example there of, um, attrition rates. So if, if our finance partners are able to accurately model month on month attrition rates, we have a much clearer understanding of the type of recruiting that we're going to have to do in the volume and types of roles where and when, and then we can actually get ahead of that, but without kind of bringing all of those data points together and having that conversation, um, you're, you're kind of like in the dark a little bit. Oh, and even when you're not in growth stage, just to, to backfill and kind of mm. maintain a, a headcount, there's a lot of yeah, work that goes into that, isn't there? Yeah, if you're not in growth, just, just plateauing and keeping stable, there's still a lot of hires that need to make, particularly in businesses such as yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot to, um, to, to unpick there, I suppose. Firstly, we've sort of moved on from internal mobility and, and make and creating impact um to to sort of the, the the planning phase um so we've we've we when looking at sort of planning specifically are there any particular tools that we can use i mean we struggle in the record don't we looking at understanding we know where we roughly want to hire and then understanding your attrition mm. rates and and that sort of thing what tools can we use or or are there any sort of methods that you can incorporate to, to sort of make a, a better plan? From a, a demand plan point of view, you mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, from a tools point of view, I'm only going to recommend Microsoft tools. I'm Obviously. So Excel is your go-to. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Shit, we're a Google Sheets organization. <laughs> I'm sorry. Big <laughs> problem. Um, look, I mean, I, I remember the, the first time I sat down with a finance partner and went through a demand plan Excel. It was like I was looking at a different language most, you know. So um, I'll be honest, I sat with an accountant the other day and uh, he he did say, you're not going to get anything on Google Sheets. Excel <laughs> is the wizard of the financial spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah so look, we, we do, we'll do all of our demand planning through, you know, standard tools. I think the... The important thing is understanding that like the language that that information is being presented is kind of clear yeah. and that everyone is accessible for everyone to understand um, what does this mean? What are the important things for me in this? You know, what data points can I use here to actually go and make impactful decisions? I mean, ultimately for me as a, as a talent acquisition leader, I'm just looking fundamentally trying to make sense of, of that Excel document to say, okay, what's the demand? You know, how many people, where, what profiles, and often that isn't 
in the tool because the tool will be, well, this is the number of coming in, this is the number of going out, and this is the difference. But actually, how do you overlay that onto a global business? So the partnership with finance and then taking that on to work with the um, the various business leaders that you're supporting to understand the, this is these are the numbers, but actually, what how is this translating into a talent strategy? Yeah, and you've got to have a really close relationship, you know, to be able to bring that kind of stuff to the surface. Yeah, I think that hiring managers and business leaders, like you've said, often have a different plan. Uh, yeah, that it, it, you know, if it can change. Agile, agile, flat. agile. That's a, that's a natural good point. To be fair, what what? How often should this be revisited and 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 relooked at? You have you know because plans change. Um, you know we don't we can't anticipate wars and we can't anticipate different elements of, of macroeconomic headwinds. Yeah. Um, but how how often would you look at this and how often would you reevaluate that that plan? Oh, I mean. Like- Daily, yeah, almost constantly, actually. Yeah. And um, the experiences in technology from the last year have just gone to show that things are consistently changing. <clears throat> so, the ability to have an agile partnership with finance, with the business leaders, with your HR partners to understand what's talent acquisition's role in this, yeah, you know, and also um, to ensure that we're recruiting responsibly as well, you know, if if the business is in a cost-constrained environment, that talent acquisition is delivering a cost-constrained recruiting service. That might involve focusing on internal talent only, you know, and that might be something as a talent acquisition professional, you say, yeah, but, you know, external talent transformation, you know, all this kind of stuff. But actually, if the priorities for the organization are to hire from talent within the organization... yeah. How do we continue to then kind of deliver that excellence, you know, continue to drive towards um, D&I aspirations, continue to ensure that we've got transformational talent in the right roles at the right time, but do that with our internal talent population instead of with an external search. And some organizations may say, yeah, but, you know, internal moves, we just move people around and slot them. But no, I mean, there's a tremendous, if we talk about coming back to that talent journey, Internal moves is a critical part of that talent journey and thinking about, well, then what is the responsibility of a talent acquisition function to empower internal movement and apply, you know, that same due diligence of selection and the same due diligence around ensuring that we have the right skills and experience, the right growth mindset, the right cultural attributes. Just because they're into the business doesn't make them right for that role. No, it doesn't. And the risk is that, you know, with internal movements, we we could be setting people up for failure. You know, we could be putting people into roles where um, it's not a good fit for their skills and it won't drive the right results. So to ensure that we have the right assessment process in place and to ensure that we have the right kind of guardrails around that function, that we can still deliver success for the business is a great example of how, how can talent acquisition continue to have impact in a time when we're not hiring from the external market. Because talent's still moving, it's talent just still needs to move. If if talent is not moving within a business, that talent will leave that business, move to another business. Exactly, and many other companies are still hiring at the moment. You and obviously you folks at Microsoft are still hiring. Are you seeing a bit of a, a distrust 
kind of building among and at risk of putting you in a bag the big tech category yeah. yeah yeah because there has been so many almost kind of overnight layoffs and the way the process has been handled by some big tech companies do you think it's becoming a slightly less attractive prospect to work for a big tech firm and that, that's that's a load of questions it's definitely not that it's more it's more of an interesting one because i think we're, we're kind of seeing that a little bit i i think um I think there are companies which have handled this difficult situation in the most empathetic and respectful way possible. Um, I think that there is there is a, a a cultural an opportunity to continue to reinforce culture here, and um, many companies have, in an incredibly difficult situation, have tried to do the best thing possible. Now. To answer your question, is there distrust about moving into tech? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that if you're looking for stability and if you're in a non-tech role, you will probably read articles in Business Insider or whatever it is, and you'll you'll hear a lot of stories about tech layoffs. You know? So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there is a lot of mistrust at the moment. Because um, historically, those uh, safe jobs, those say, you know, I'll go here. That is the the Microsofts, Facebook, Twitter, the the huge big tech companies are your safe zone, aren't they? Um, but they they've been caught up in in uh, just as much as some of the the smaller tech companies as well in in terms of the the challenges. I guess the, the tech industry has always been, I say always in my short short experiences of the tech industry, it's always been a bit boom or bust, right? Like, yeah, there's always been there's always been growth. Yeah, and there's been a lot of um, Stop refocusing back on growth. Yes, basically mimicking like Bitcoin <laughs> grows massively. Drops off massively. Grows massively. Drops off massively. I've worked very hard to try to have no knowledge whatsoever about Bitcoin. Actually, so I've done well. <laughs> yes, I feel better for it. <laughs> Look, I think Juice of Rosie talking about Bitcoin. I I think um, one of the one of the things that um is important for everyone who's in tech or outside tech to to kind of fo- keep focused on is to to make sure that they own their own career yeah and i think really important that, you know the for, for people to feel as if because i think many people have been surprised by what's happened yeah. in the industry in the last year and you know have been incredibly surprised and incredibly disappointed and you know, a feeling of that they were let down, a feeling that, you know, lacking of trust, all of these types of things. So I think it is it's a reminder for everyone to make sure that they continue to own their own career and that they're the people that are driving charge of it. Yeah, the ac- accountability, right? You Companies are, are going to go and come and companies are, are you know, going to let you down, but you have to own your own career. Are you asking the right questions of your employer? Them to ensure that you're you're in in the right position to to benefit from them. Uh, they're not there to do you a favour. You're there to to make sure that they're you know. I mean, you're holding them responsible for what you need out of your career. Yeah, and you know the other thing is thinking like, do do I as an individual have a career development plan, and yeah. am I working towards that career development plan? And you know, is that a combination of these are the topics that I want to learn? You know, these are the mentors who I want to partner with. This is my next role, and this is when I will take my next role. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I've like, this may come. I spent 
some you know seven or eight years in Germany. So for me, I kind of learned a lot of structure within that period of time in Germany. And one of the things which I really enjoyed was um, people were very clear about look, this is the this is the role I'm going to do. This is what I want to learn. This is the time it's going to take me to have the impact within this role. But also to be pragmatic, this is the point at which I'm ready for my next position. You know, and whether that's like two years, three years, more or less, to be very clear with yourself that I have learned everything I want to learn. I've had the impact that I want to have within this role. Now I'm ready for my next role and this is how I'm going to get to that next role. And I would hope within any large organization, there are career development plans and there are opportunities which will help people to move forward. But the worst possible thing is for someone to stay somewhere where they're not learning and they're not growing. Or happy. Yeah, and they're not happy. And it's those points where I say to people, look, you know, it's time to do that brave thing and think about like, is this the right time to take control of my career? Some sort of alignment, doesn't it, as well? I guess if if there's alignment between I'm ready for my next step and the business has that next step or the business is ready for the next step for me. And um, I think you're incredibly right. It's sometimes having that difficult conversation with yourself to say, no, I'm I'm not ready for that position. Even if the business is ready, I'm not. Yeah. Um, so that means I then have to look elsewhere, or which I know is, is, isn't ever easy particularly at the moment. But I think the, the point around owning your career and probably being a little bit self-critical and, and very honest with yourself about where you are in your career, just because you've been in a role for the last three years doesn't necessarily mean you're ready for the next step. This, this is why learning is so important. And, you know, coming back to the how can talent acquisition have impact in this period, you're having impact on yourself and actually having your clear learning aspirations in place, you know, whether that's LinkedIn learning or whether it's going to events and conferences, whether it's mentoring or, you know, shadowing with people. But as well as that, making sure that your manager is a sponsor of your career as well. You know, ultimately your manager has a vested interest in your career development and your manager should be thinking about what is this person's next role within this organization and at what point are they ready for it? And what's the role of the manager to sponsor that individual to take that next role rather than kind of keep them in that role just because they're delivering well. So it's, it's a shared responsibility. Um, but it, ha- it has to be planned. It has to be intentional. I, I think that the key there is accountability, though, isn't it? You're, you're, you need to hold your manager accountable, even if they are uh, they are responsible. But you need to, you know, if you don't feel like you're getting uh, that development or you don't have that career plan in place, go and find it. Yeah. Um, and if you're not going to get it in your current company, then yeah, maybe that's when you you have to understand what what it is you're really looking for, and if that company's able to give it to you. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, skills, we talked a lot about um, you know how we can develop acquisition uh, into other roles like retention, employee engagement. How can how how would, how would I go around? You know, I'm a talent partner in a in a medium sized business, and I want to show more impact. How do you think I can go around just getting involved in some of those things? Because I think that yeah. potentially that's one of the the steps that people don't know what to take. How, you know, it's a lot easier when everyone was in an office. You could probably go and tap on the yeah. sound owner's shoulder and be yeah. like, can I work with you for a little while? Yeah. Can I shadow? Whereas the remote world probably adds another level of complexity into that. And yeah. particularly where you don't know something, it's always a bit scarier. Change is pretty scary, isn't it? So um, if you're like, right, I'm, I'm working on projects, but I, you know, I'd love to get involved in some of this stuff. What, what can we, what can people do? 
So I think as part of the career development plan, making sure that you have a mentor or more than one mentor yep. who's supporting your knowledge of those roles and also giving you guidance around like skills so that you inside or outside the business. Um, I think it can be both. Yeah. It depends on the size of the organization, but it can be both. I think you've also got coaches. So people in the organization who may well be supporting you to develop new skills. Yep. Then you've also got sponsors. So people who may well be decision makers for your career moves. Yeah. You know, so when you think about all of the people that you want to connect with, try to think of them in those three different groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, you raise a really interesting point around like virtual, you know, virtual working is always going to offer those kind of challenges around collaboration. Now technology, whether that's Microsoft Teams or Slack, you know, it's helping to bridge that gap. Um, but any opportunity that you've got to, to shadow other organizations, other parts of HR, um, any transferable skills that you can, that you can, um, promote, um, when you're looking at stretch opportunities, you know, so if we think around talent acquisition, um, whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, whether it's HR consulting, whether it's HR services. There are a ton of different skills that we have in talent acquisition, which can be leveraged other, in, across other parts of the organization. So it's just kind of spotting those, identifying those in yourself. If you feel as if you're missing them, actually, what are the areas, what are the, the learning and development topics, which will help to bridge those gaps and then building those relationships. So you've got those networks within an organization where you can say, Hey, I'm available to support with this or this is a project that I think I can have an impact on and just really putting yourself out there. Actually, you know, you mentioned being in a remote, uh, being in the office is easier because you can walk up to someone and ask them. I just think it's easier to just be able to type a Slack message. Yeah, maybe. I guess it... Yeah, that actually is, 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 is braver. <laughs> well, some people get really brave, you know, behind a keyboard. So it might be, might be like a good opportunity for... I just started pressing the call button, to be honest. So, yeah. I, I, again, sorry, I'm very ignorant. I don't know how Slack works. Teams only here. <laughs> but, you know, with, with, with Teams, you've got you've got your chat. And then in the top right, you've got the, the little video call button. Yep. And I think that, like, we're very tempted to do the, hey, how are you going on the chat thing? Oh. But if someone's on green, like, just call them. It's so annoying. But it's it's so refreshing just to have that quick conversation. And I, I chatted with someone the other day about this. You know, we we had so much of that in the face-to-face environment where we would have coffee, you know, you're walking down reception, chatting away, you know, you have all of these, these snippets of connectedness, which we immediately lost yep. when we went to virtual. And so then organizations started creating ways of bringing that back. So every company was having a, there's a hundred apps on stuff yeah. now. Hey, let, let's have a social thing. Let's do this. And they're all great. Don't get me wrong. They're all fantastic because they're trying to uh, bring back that personal culture and that personal touch. But if you think about like, if we're sitting next to each other in the office, like I'm not going to type you a message. I'm going to like, hey, 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 can you just help me with this? Of course. So, you know, that's what that button is yeah. just to do that quick video call. And just to have like that five minute conversation, share your screen, you know, um, collaborate on things very quickly, get quick decisions. Otherwise you'll just be kind of back and forward on emails. Stuff. It frustrates the life out of me. I've spoken to so many people and they're like, I just can't get hold of this person. I'm like, okay, 
uh, why not? You know, I sent them a message. It takes them at least 24 hours to get back to me. Responded by email. When did you bring them? Yeah. I didn't. How come? Well, it's rude, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think people are starting to feel as if making a video call to someone is in some way intrusive. Yeah. Because it's almost like you're like knocking on their front door of their home or something. Um, so, but I, I fully agree with you. I think like we have to get over that and just yeah. have that immediate connection. They don't have to answer, you know, Obviously, they just won't answer. On Slack, there's just a huddle option. So you just toggle huddle on. Yeah. And you don't even have to have your video on. It's just, hello. Yeah. You just, you, you know, you're straight in. Um, but yeah, people are just uh, a little bit afraid of doing that for, for it, reasons of intrusiveness. Going yeah. back to that point, though, the initial point about reaching out to a mentor or a, a, a coach or, or somebody within the business that you want more exposure to, what better way to kind of kick that off and up your profile by giving them a ring, right? Surely, yeah. yeah. But if someone reached out to you, someone junior in the organization, one of them sent you a message or one of them called you and you had a little face-to-face chat, one's going to come off more favorably than the other, right? Because immediately you've got you've got that connection. And I think like to, to be intentional and to be structured about building those relationships. So, you know, prioritize what do I want to get out of this conversation and why is this person the right person to speak with? And obviously, yeah, you know, building the relationship through face-to-face, um, virtual face-to-face contact. Um, but also being comfortable with the fact that a mentoring relationship won't last forever. Yeah. You know, and like... It's not supposed to be. No, is it? everything needs to have an end at some point. And so be intentional about what you want to achieve out of that relationship. And then at some point you're going to say, hey, great, like, thanks. Thanks for the amazing. Yeah, thanks for all the support. And continue to kind of refresh... Um, what your goals are for mentorship and who is going to be the best person to support you on that and you know turn them over like yeah keep on going to get different viewpoints on you different perspectives that are going to going to build on your skills base uh, rather than have the same same person all of the time yeah the other thing i would just say just i know we were quickly touching on that collaboration piece this is a really basic one but like video on you know it's and in Microsoft, we're very good about this topic because we will say, look, hey, you don't need to put your video on because from a point of view of inclusion, not everyone is able to put their video on. Not everyone feels confident. To put their Does video it on. make you feel like they're in bed, though? <laughs> I wouldn't like to say. <laughs> I just... It depends on the time. Does, it depends on the time zone. Someone doesn't have their video on. I get immediately suspicious. Yeah, but if I'm joining a conference call at midnight, I probably am in bed. So it's fine. That's that's reasonable, right? But I do, but I do think that um, I certainly. Let me talk about myself. So I certainly would keep my video on as a way of making other people feel more included in what I'm talking about because I think that there is additional context that comes from whether it's body language whether it's yeah just my physical energy around the topic um which helps other people so that's for me and i will always try and keep even if i'm literally coming back from the gym and i'm like covered in sweat and i have to jump on a quick call the video will stay on and i still apologize to people i hey i'm sorry i've just just got up you know you're my first call of the day and that's fine you know we have to have the culture where um you can be yourself, you know, maybe your dog's sitting in the background, maybe there's a kid in the other room shouting about something. That's totally cool, and that should never be a problem. 
But I do think that when you're thinking about building your brand internally within an organization, when you're thinking about networking, to, to be visible, to be your true self is tremendously important. I think it encourages trust, doesn't it? Yeah. Ultimately. So, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think um, on, the, on the video thing as well, it, it helps build relationship, doesn't it? You know, like FaceTime. One thing about video that does irritate me is, do you find that you're staring at yourself sometimes? <laughs> or is that just me? Because I've actually, I actually reduced my, my, my screen completely. Otherwise, imagine having a conversation. We're just having a conversation now, but next to you is a mirror. There, there is, there is um, this new technology which is coming out, which basically uses AI to make your eyes always look at the screen. So even if you, you're looking away at something else, it will make your eyes look at the screen. So, is that good or bad? Well, it's a little bit disconcerting, you know, when like the eyes are always there. Yeah, because then I don't even have to look at you. I'm just talking yeah. to you, but I'm looking at yeah. you. Yeah, and it probably doesn't blink as well. <laughs> like the paintings on the wall. It's always following you. There's also uh, a camera, isn't there, that you can stick to your screen so that if we're on a video screen, I can stick the camera to in the middle of your face oh yeah so that when i'm looking at you yeah, yeah, my yeah. eyes are also looking at you which apparently does have a big impact you know when you're meeting people you know client facing and you're meeting clients and they say you've got to see the whites of each other's eyes and, and those are old sort of sayings but they do they do ring true don't they you know when you're if, if you're if i'm having a conversation with you and you're looking over here i'm gonna be like that's pretty fucking rude do you know what I um I love learning about people based on like where they where they make the call from and what they've got in their background and you know, not in a bad way. Like I've never been shocked by anything, but there are some people who I've spoken to and I've learned so much from them just yeah. based on what's on the shelves behind them. One hundred percent. So I'm not saying like, hey, you need to curate your you know, with the books in the order of colour, that kind of thing. Like you don't need to are look you a screenshotting and analysing it later. <laughs> I interviewed I interviewed one person a long time ago and on the bookshelf behind them they had lots of um like books about talent sourcing and recruiting. And I remember that at a time thinking, You got it. Yeah, you got your recruiting books behind you. Nailed it. Who is that? <laughs> yeah, no, you're hundred percent correct. Um or you can see, you know, uh if you're if you're working out of your living room and you can see like baby toys and, and that sort of thing, you it immediately gives you another point of reference to talk to somebody about doesn't it oh i love it if there's a dog in the background like yeah. i that's it i can't concentrate on the meeting i'm just immediately <laughs> introduce me to your dog like immediately um i've met so many dogs in the last couple of years virtually so that's the main tip if you want to job at microsoft yeah, yeah. interview with lewis with a cockapoo yeah. and you're guaranteed a role you're in i'd be sold <laughs> <laughs> um so lewis just as a bit of a, a, a wrap up i know we, mm. we've covered a lot of stuff today um, if there's anything that, that TA, that, you know, anyone in TA can learn from what's going on in, in, in society and, yeah. and, and the economy at the moment, um, what do you think that looks like? What, what do you think people could be learning? And, but also what do you think this, the future of talent acquisition could be? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, I think the, we've talked a lot about planning and I think that planning is going to be critical. You know, it, it continues to be um, an incredibly complicated topic. And, you know, if you talk to any talent acquisition leader and you ask them, hey, what's the demand plan for your organization? They'll say, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think 
getting that nailed down as much as is possible and building the partnership with finance, business leaders, with the HR partners, so that talent acquisition is at the table for those discussions is going to be absolutely critical. So planning is is the, the first one. The second one, um, again, we touched on this earlier as well, is around like agility within our function. One of the biggest challenges that talent acquisition faces is, you know, how do we scale up and then scale down? And talent acquisition is, is firstly, it's seasonal. So there are always periods of growth and periods of uh, more flatness. And there are also many surprises, whether that's, you know, a huge hiring volume coming in with very short notice or a project just falling off yep. and suddenly having some additional resources. So it would be perfect if we worked in an industry where the demand was always flat. We, but we don't. Build our team, we would just continue to deliver month on month. But the demand is like this. So I think talent acquisition functions of the future will continue to evolve like hybrid agile capabilities, which sounds very sort of ethereal, but you know, fundamentally you need your foundation and that might be your, your full-time population yep. where you have the strategic partnering, where you have the, the relationships, you know, you have the, the, the kind of capability that you've built. But then you have to have the the flexible piece, the agile piece, and that can come from a variety of different. Methods. I'm actually plugging the red cup. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't planned, I promise. <laughs> but look, I mean, it's it's going to be a combination of um, a variety of different things, and that might be um, like vendor resources. It might be um, uh, contractual relationships with suppliers. It might be. Um, um, RPOs and uh, part-time workers. Yeah, it might be looking at specific geographies to build up service centers, you know, more like time zone style recruiting so that when this area is quiet, this area is busy, you just reallocate the focus. Trust. There are so many different ways, but I think that the, you know, the, the bulletproof talent acquisition functions will have a combination of those different yeah. areas. So it's having like a contingent workforce that manages the peaks and troughs. Yeah. Whilst having your full-time employees that are managing, you know, more of that that demand uh, planning piece with their business leaders. Um, but bringing it all Business together. leaders have a consistent uh, yeah. know, a relationship with TA, but you, you're able to scale up and scale scale down when... when Within, yeah. within the organization. It, it has to work together and it has to be from the point of view of the business, the, the hiring managers and the leaders, it has to be seamless Yeah, because they look at the function and they say, okay, this is my talent acquisition function. If we're constantly having to explain the nuances of where we're stitching this thing together, or now you need to speak to this person and they're part of this, you know, then it all falls apart. So it has to be a seamless experience. You know, underpinned with technology, with consistent processes um, that's enabled to kind of scale and deliver very effectively, but to those same incredibly high standards that we would hold ourselves accountable to if we were personally, you know, doing it yeah. ourselves. I think that's really good. Good point to finish on. Thank you very much. However, we are we have a. Then do you want to introduce the the random card of the day? We have a compellingly um completely original concept stolen from Diary of a CEO and tagging them by tagging out Bartlett sorry more impressive and well followed podcast so what we're going to be asking all I guess to do is pick a random question and um, kind of gave you the heads up but it's not random as in 
if you were a sandwich, you would be yeah. X or what animal? We're going prepared to answer. At least we'll make you recover off later. <laughs> Just quickly, what would that sandwich be? If I was a sandwich, it would be uh, peanut butter and jelly. I like it. Yeah. Intriguing. Nod to my American facility as well. Sandwich, that is. That's jam to us English. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll, we'll let you let okay. choose one and shouldn't be too shocking or anything. Okay. Over to you. What piece of tech has impacted how you do your role the most? So thank you for the technology question. Do appreciate that. Um, um, so look, I, I'm not going to make this a Microsoft Teams plug. I'll talk in more general terms around. Have <laughs> <laughs> you not met any of those? <laughs> yeah, they sell themselves. <laughs> um, but definitely when we think about, you know, when COVID first happened, how we, we had like people all around the world who who had to continue interviewing we had candidates in process you know we had travel restrictions we had people who weren't even able to leave their homes in some situations mm -hmm. so to move that all immediately into a platform like microsoft teams i understand other competitors are available um but that that virtual interview um uh, connectivity tool that enabled us to continue delivering our service you know, continue to hire candidates, continue to bring teams together, um, was just revolutionary. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, it's the thought of that technology not being there at that time. I don't know how we'd go about it. It's, it, it is, um, it, it, we, we have, we have learned such, such a lot through the technology and there is so much of that technology, which will continue. Yeah. You know, we, we will never go back to the pre COVID world. You know, I always kind of use the analogy of the um, the pendulum. You know, we were we were up here with the the face to face in person interviews with COVID. We swung all the way across here, so we were fully virtual, and we're at a point now where we're swinging back towards the middle, where we'll yeah. see these kind of hybrid experiences, and that itself brings complexity. How do you create a consistent experience and an engaging experience when you've got some people in the office and some people? out of the office you know how do you interview talent consistently when some can come to a physical space and some can't you know so there are still lots and lots of things that we're going to have to solve as a result of that but fundamentally the technology that enabled us to do it was completely transformational yeah agreed and on that point we'll work, we'll have to put another podcast in for you to discuss those exact things that you just mentioned there <laughs> i'm up for that one That's um, another hour yeah, another hour um, other than that, I think that's a that's a wrap. Um, so uh, we're uh, we're going to sign off. We've talked a lot about um, internal mobility, what recruiters and talent partners can be doing to improve uh, and add impact in the bit to the business on a, on a, or to the wider business, um, and potentially how you can can look at your planning in in a better, more effective and efficient way. Um, thanks to, to Lewis for joining us on our very first podcast episode. I think we're all podcast virgins, aren't we? So uh, it's been an experience. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you very much, mate. Thank you. Cheers. It's a pleasure to join you. Thank you, Jens. Amazing.